Amen. This morning we're in Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. And this morning we're looking at the resolve of Daniel and the blessing of God upon him to accomplish the good that was in his heart. And so when we look at resolve and what it means to do something by resolve, I think it's very important to understand that there's a difference between knowledge and an action of the will. It's something to know something, but it's altogether different to go and act on that thing. Often we know what is good, but we don't act on what is good. Or we know what is sinful and evil, but we don't abstain from it. And there's a disconnect between our understanding, our knowledge, and the actions of our will and what we are actually doing in our lives. And so it's very important for us to see this morning that there's something called resolve that involves the middle of these two things, knowing something and then doing something and actually setting your will toward doing what you know is right. And we're going to see this in the life of Daniel this morning. So please stand to honor the Lord as we read his word. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 through 21. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? Uh, who would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So, uh, if you weren't with us last week, Daniel is a character that has been swept away in the first uh, exile of the people of Israel as a part of the judgment of God because of the wickedness of the nation of Israel. But he is preserving Daniel in his exile and continually will open doors for Daniel to continue to live for Christ, to live for the Lord as a remnant of the people of Israel. 
And so first we see here Daniel resolving that he would not defile himself. We talked about last week about how the king is trying to assimilate them into Babylon, not by imprisoning them, but by giving them the best of everything that Babylon has to offer. And through indulging in the best of everything that the culture has, make them a part of the culture of Babylon and leave behind their ways as Jews, which were meant to be distinct. The Lord had given them distinct ways ways to live that would separate them from the world instead of cause them to be a part of the world. And so here in the beginning, we have this important statement, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. So what does it mean to resolve? What is a resolution? At, at the beginning of New Year's, we often make resolutions. They're very weak in our day and age. People's resolutions last about a week, it seems like. Resolution should be much more significant in our life, though, because resolution is a purpose of the heart. It's an intentional direction of the will, and that is very different than happenstance or falling into something or just kind of wandering along, and I believe that a great many people, whether they realize it or not, are basically wandering through life, and things just kind of come and hit them day by day, and they react to them, and they go here, and they go there, but there's no driving purpose and resolution and intentional direction to their life, but there was to Daniel's life. My first uh, you know, introduction, I guess, to resolution of the will was running cross country in high school. And it was something I kind of fell into, not by resolution, but got there. And we did plenty to condition the body. But I quickly found out that running cross country was much less about conditioning of the body than it was about the conditioning of the mind. Because every single person that was out there running, no matter their condition, would reach a wall where their body said, I can't do this anymore. You need to stop running. What are you doing? And you start to have this fight with yourself in your mind. And those that would win and would be those that led the pack were those that had the stronger will of the mind, had a stronger resolution in their mind to press their body to keep going. And it was amazing to me, actually, how much further I could go in my mind than I could in my body. And so it was, a, it was a lesson to me about resolution. But what is important to know about this, and this is the great disconnect between the unbelieving world and the Christian world, is that the resolution of the mind can never press through the enslavement of the soul to sin. You cannot, through the resolution of your own will, stop doing what is evil. Only by the forgiveness and by the regeneration of the soul through the salvation of Jesus Christ can we ever break through that and begin to act in a way that we could not act before. It's freedom from sin that comes through salvation given by God's Spirit. And yet, in this act of sanctification, once we have come to Christ Jesus in salvation and we begin to grow in likeness to Christ, there is a cooperation between us and the Holy Spirit. The first move is by the Holy Spirit, but we cooperate with the Lord through the, the resolution of our will to go and do what God would have us to do. And this is exactly what we see happening here in Daniel's life, that it is right for Daniel to look at the situation and not wander through the situation. But look at the situation, see it for what it is, and resolve that this is a problem. I've got something right here before me that is going to be a serious problem to my soul. And God help me, I'm not going to do that. 
There's a great illustration of this. In the 18th century, uh, a pastor named Jonathan Edwards is famous for writing his 70 resolutions. And these are resolutions that he wrote younger in his life. And then he went on and reviewed these and largely lived by these throughout his life by the grace of God. And so I'm going to read a few of these to you. Not all of them. We won't be here all day. But these are some really great resolutions. But how he starts is so important. It begins with this. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions as far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. So here's some of these 70. Resolve never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but that tends to the glory of God. Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Resolved never to do anything out of revenge. Resolved never to speak evil of anyone so that it shall tend to his dishonor more or less upon no account except for some real good. Resolved that I will live so as I shall wish that I had lived when I die. Resolved frequently to take some deliberate action which seems most unlikely to be done but for the glory of God. Resolved to study the scriptures so steadily constantly and frequently, as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Resolved always to do what I can towards making, maintaining, and establishing peace. Resolved in narrations never to speak anything but the pure and simple truth. Resolved frequently to renew the dedication of myself to God, which was made at my baptism, which I solemnly renewed when I was received into the communion of the church, which I have solemnly remade this day of January the 12th, 1772. It's interesting. Do you know Jonathan Edwards rededicated himself to the Lord? I think it's fascinating. Puts it in his resolutions. I frequently hear persons in old age how they would live if they, would, if they were to live their lives over again. I am resolved that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I live to an old age. That I will live as I wish that I had lived when I reach old age. I'm resolved never to give over in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. In his final and 70th resolution, resolved that there may be something of benevolence or love in all that I speak. So these are powerful resolutions, and these resolutions were used of the Lord that he might be one of the most influential Christian pastors and theologians that ever lived in America. His writings have affected the church and so many people, including myself, down to this day. And so it is a cooperation of our will and the work of the Holy Spirit to see God's will done in our lives. And so Daniel was a man, a young man of resolution, resolved not to defile himself with the king's food. And so I think the first question we have to ask about this passage is, what was wrong with the king's food? What, what, what was the problem? Well, it's more likely than not that there were forbidden things on the menu. So the Jewish people had a series of dietary laws. The most famous is that they should not partake of pork and other things that God forbid them to eat. And this was not specifically related to health. The purpose mainly was to set them apart from other people in the world. And that's exactly what's happening in this passage. The things that God called them not to eat 
would cause them to eat differently than the other people of the world. And so when they sat down, they would be a set-apart, holy people in the way that they conducted themselves. And that is exactly what is happening here. When he goes to the table of a pagan king, there are things that he cannot eat, and so he's going to have to eat differently that will show that he is a Jewish person, a person that is set apart in his life. And so the next question I think that we should ask is, what is so righteous about the vegetable and water resolution that we see in verse 12? Some people go all over the place with this, but I, I, what we can't come to as a conclusion is that we should all be vegetarians because that's just not a, it's not a biblical thing. Uh, it was not required of the Jews then. It's not required of us now. If people choose to be vegetarians, well and good. So in this passage, uh, Daniel chooses to do that for various reasons. Some people choose to do that now. Great. But we also know that there are many people, godly then and godly now, that partake of meat. And we know that because of the vision given to Peter in Acts chapter 10, that we have the freedom to eat of these things because it was clearly uh, given to Peter and to the church that those Old Testament dietary laws are put away. Why? Because we are now no longer separated from the world by what we eat, but we are separated from the world by who we believe in and who we follow. We are separated by the ethics of our life and following after Jesus Christ and believing in him. So the way we live in the world is still a separated life, but not by dietary restrictions, but by moral living and following after Christ. And so my understanding of what we have going on here at the most basic level relates to what we talked about last week, that Daniel is getting ready to be overwhelmed by Babylonian culture, and he is resolved to go further than necessary to seriously distance himself from the luxury of Babylonian culture. So he is getting ready to be given everything of the king's court and access to everything that they have in Babylon. And yes, he could take one step back, but he's taking many steps back so that he is separated in a very meaningful way that he's going to have to ask for permission for, and it's going to cause a problem. Either God's going to make a way for him to do this, or he may be put to death for it. And that's what the eunuch is having a problem with, because he says, hey, what you're asking of me could cause me my life. Like, this is a serious problem. You rejecting the generosity of the king is not a good thing. But Daniel and his companions are aiming for not an average life, but a holy life. And let's remember what holiness means. Holiness means set apart, a life that is set apart. And so in this particular aspect of what is required of them, they are saying, I am resolved to live a set apart life that will not defile me. And I couldn't read this passage without thinking about James chapter 1. We refer to James chapter 1 verse 27 often in this church. It's the verse that says, true religion is the care of widows and orphans. And that's a very important part of that verse, but, but what's the next sentence of that verse? It says, and to remain unstained by the world. What a powerful Interesting statement that is, to remain unstained by the world. We know what it means to be stained. You spill something on yourself, and you're like, I'm just ruining this shirt because it will never come out. It's now stained. We as Christians are to be unstained by the world. That the things that we come encounter with, that we are to be separated from those things in such a way that the world does not rub off on us. It does not cling to us, but it sheds off of us. And so Daniel 
puts away temptation. He puts away enticement. He chooses abstinence in the face of luxury. We'll come back to this in a minute, but how many of those young people that were taken out of Israel into Babylon and into this exile and find themselves in the king's court given everything in the world, maybe even a better life than they had before, would have said, man, I hit the jackpot. This is unbelievable. I thought I was going to prison in shackles, and here I am at the king's table indulging in everything. And instead, Daniel saw the situation for what it was. His spiritual discernment and the spiritual discernment of his companions understood that they were getting ready to walk into a trap. The opposite type of trap that they may have expected, but temptation was coming with excess and with affluence. And so in choosing simplicity, he chooses to look back to the promised land and to not set his heart on the place of Babylon. He is hoping for the restoration of Israel and he is resolved not to eat the king's food as it comes to him. He is resolved to never assimilate into Babylon. And he sets his will to do it. And in setting his will to do it, he asks God for the strength to be able to accomplish what is in his will. And so I think it's important. I was reading this past week a little bit from uh, a guy named Abraham Kuyper, who is a fascinating theologian and politician and other things from back at the turn of the 19th century in Holland. And what he was writing about was the change in Amsterdam over 100 years ago. And now Amsterdam is one of the most godless places in the world. But it's hard to think that Amsterdam used to be a godly place. And he was writing about the atmosphere of it at that time over 100 years ago. And he said that he understood that the atmosphere of a place would affect him unless he resolved to resist it. And we need to see that. Daniel understood that the atmosphere of Babylon was going to affect him unless he resolved to resist it. And so we are foolish if we don't believe that the atmosphere of non-Christian America today will affect us if we do not resolve to resist it. We have to resolve to look at the situation for what it is and resolve that by the power and grace of Christ Jesus that we might instead put our hope in heaven, that we might not be carried away by the spirit of this age. And so similar to Daniel, we live in a time of intense materialism, of great luxury and worldliness. And as with Daniel, I'm going to continue to encourage us to choose abstinence and the lesser way in the midst of plenty because there is temptation that comes along with great excess. So this is the beginning of Daniel's resolution that he would not defile himself with the king's food. So what's he going to do with this? Because often we come to a place of resolution in our heart where we know, all right, this is what we've got to do. This is the direction that I've got to do, got to go. That's knowledge. How are we going to act on it? How are we going to actually do what God has put into our heart? And Daniel is a constant, fascinating, and I think important example of diplomacy. And that's the next place we're going here, is diplomacy. Daniel is not a rebellious person. He's not a fist shaking, like, I'm going to get my way or the highway, and here we go. Instead, he does so often what he does in verse 8. It says in verse 8b, Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Isn't that interesting? So he goes to this person who is in authority over him, because every single one of us have authority structures in our life, and every single one of us have people in authority over us. And often those are non-Christian people. And so what do we do with those people? 
we go and we do what Daniel said. We go and we ask. We ask for allowance. This is what I feel led to do. Uh, I would like to do this. Can I do this? And what happens? So out of matter of moral conviction, he goes to this uh, chief of the eunuchs in an unwavering moral conviction and in devout faith in his God, he asks instead of demanding, and in this he entrusts himself to God. Why? How is he entrusting himself to God? Well, he's entrusting himself to God because he can't change this guy's heart. He certainly can't change the king. He is in the absolute lowest place as the slave that just came in from the country that they took over. But he's making a big ask. He's asking this person to do something that would actually risk his life. And that's a big ask. And the guy tells him that later on. Hey, like, the king could kill me for this. Are you, are you serious? Like, you really want to do this? And this is where we get into the third part of this this morning, which is the favor of God. And that's what we see in verse 9. These things all begin to connect together. But God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. This is God changing hearts that Daniel cannot change. This is God making a way where there seems to be no way. And that is really important because all of us have been in that place where we think, man, this, I know this is what God wants me to do, but this seems impossible. In fact, this is impossible. There's no way that I can accomplish this. And so what am I supposed to do with this? Well, the, the Bible language towards this is God giving you favor and him accomplishing something on your behalf because he loves you and because of your resolution to follow him that you could not accomplish on your own. This passage reminds me of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, which says this, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Isn't that interesting? And the, the, the key word there is he makes. It's the Lord changing the hearts of even your enemies that they might have peace with you. And that's what's happening here. These should be people that are against him and have no interest in him and no compassion towards him whatsoever. And yet God does something to change their hearts. And I tell you that if you are walking like Daniel walked, in obedience to the Lord, in a humility, and in love, and in faith, and in hope, God will make a way for you. He has done it over and over and over in the Bible, over and over and over in church history. I know he's done it in my life, and I believe he's done it in yours. And if you take a moment to think about it, you'll recall situations where the Lord has opened up doors when you resolved to follow him, and he gave you favor before people that you could never have changed or affected on your own. But let's remember that God does not honor pride and he does not honor anger, and he does not honor harshness. And these are all things that characterize what we look like when we decide we're going to press our own way, and we're going to make it happen in the way that we want it to happen and how we want it to happen. We're going to lash out. We're going to struggle against people. We're going to be harsh. We're going to be angry. We're going to be proud. Because if we are able to accomplish the end that we're looking for in that way, who gets the glory? You do. But if you are in humility and kindness and love and you are asking God to do something on your behalf and he opens a door, who gets the glory? God does. In this story, Daniel does not get the glory. God gets the glory because he's the one that keeps opening the doors and keeps accomplishing things that Daniel never could. 
And it's the same way when God shows favor, and this exact same language is used repeatedly in the Bible for Joseph, for David, for Esther, for Mary, for characters that could not open doors for themselves, but God gives favor and opens doors for them that they might live in a righteous way before the Lord. And so I believe that it's right that we pray for favor from the Lord, that when we know we're going into a situation that's going to be a problem, and you can just foresee it on the horizon, start praying for favor. God, give me favor in the eyes of, of my boss or my employer or this difficult neighbor or whoever it may be. May you work on my behalf that I might give praise and thanks and tell people about what you're doing when you work out the situation in a way that I never could. And so as we go on in verse 10, we have the chief of the eunuchs afraid for his life. And so we have more diplomacy by Daniel in verse 12. It says like, well, all right, Jesus, Daniel is, part of diplomacy, by the way, is not being an all or nothing person. It's being an all or something person. And where you can compromise, you compromise. So he says, all right. Well, if we can't do this forever, how about we just do it for 10 days? 10 days. Can, can you give me 10 days? And the guy's like, uh, yeah, I guess so. I, guess I can probably not report that to the king for 10 days and get away with it and see what happens. And that's exactly what he does. And so he gives them a 10-day reprieve, and they ask God to work on their behalf, and he does. And so they come back in verse 15, and they're in better health than all the rest of them. And he says, well... You know, if you're in better health, like what we want to do is see you look good before the king so you can have what you want. And so for their three-year education there in Babylon, they take away the, the king's table and give them the vegetable and water diet. But what I want you to see is when we get to verse 17 and beyond into 21, where we read about these four youths being head and shoulders above the other people that were there, it is very, very important that we understand that it's not vegetables and water that made them so much more, uh, that made them stand out amongst their peers, but that we see there's much more going on here. God gave them, it says in verse 17, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. He gave Daniel specifically an understanding and an ability to interpret dreams and visions, which Clay is going to talk about next week as we get into chapter 2. This will be a, a very important part of the book of Daniel. But God gives them special abilities, mental abilities that cause them to stand out before the people that they are around. But I want us to not go past the first part of verse 17 too quickly. It says, as for these four youths. It brings out these four characters specifically. And I think it is absolutely uh, reasonable to think that there were many other young people. Because the, the list is listed there in the first part of chapter 1 of the various groups that were all brought into Babylon. And we would assume that some others of these were taken into this special care of the king to be raised up more than just four young men. But like is usually the case... A large crowd does not enter into the same resolution. As the time went on, as the days went on, they began to fall away and fall away and fall away until in the end there are only four left standing. 
And those four by name are named here in this book. And they are the ones that resolved not to defile themselves with the king's food. They are the ones that resolved to live a godly life in the midst of exile. And it is important to see that this does not just happen to the masses. It happens when we resolve and we set our hearts upon the Lord and we live for him and then he makes a way for us. And for these four young men, he made a way for them. And I think it is important for us as we look at what they were eating and what they were doing and how God blessed them and the outcome of these three years in Babylon that we remember Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which is then re- repeated in the New Testament by Jesus Christ. And it's these important words, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They physically lived by vegetables and water for three years. But something radical happened to them. Somehow they came out of the ashes and elevated to being 10 times greater than everybody else to when the testing was done, they stood head and shoulders above everyone else and ended up entering into a favored place in the court and being used by God. And this did not just come by vegetables and water and hard work. It came from the blessing of the gracious power of God. In exile, these young men are not truly sustained just by vegetables. They are sustained and they thrive by the gracious power of God. And we should see this. This passage originally came from a discussion or a, a, um, a time of talking about them living by manna during exile before they entered the promised land. And they are reminded that they did not just live by manna. They lived and they are sustained as people by the words of God. And this is very true. We know people that have everything in the world that they need to eat, but they are crushed in their mind. They are, their anxiety and guilt and all kinds of things eats them alive. America is very well provided for physically, but our souls are so crushed down by so many things. And the famine that is there is a famine of the word of the Lord. And because of not having and not being affected by and not believing God's word, their soul has no strength. And so it is the resolution of soul and the blessing of God upon that resolution which gives these four young men such great strength and then blessing from the Lord to elevate them to a place that they could never have imagined just a few years before. And so verses 18 through 20, we have a summary of them being head and shoulders above everyone else. And that they go on, as we will see in subsequent chapters, to serve the king and to serve this government at a high level. Which is going to be something that we're going to keep talking about as the weeks go on. But all I want to mention at this point is something that I think is important. And it is that moral goodness does not and should not remove us from the general matters of the world. Let me say that again. Moral goodness does not and should not remove us from the general matters of the world. What I mean by that is that many people's understanding of what it means to be a godly Christian is to cloister yourself away and, and live in some way like the Amish live. Like we're just going to get away from all of society and not be a part of society. But that is not what we see in the life of Daniel. It's not what we see in the life of Christ. It's not what we see in the life of the New Testament church. But instead, that because of our resolve to honor Christ, that we should excel in the fields of learning that God has given to us, that we should strive to be righteous, God-fearing people in the midst of the world and excellent at the things that we can do. 
that we should use our minds with discipline and precision. It's impossible to think of Daniel and his friends stumbling into this position. Instead, we see over and over that they were diligent in their study, that they were people that were careful to apply their minds and apply their abilities, that we should be excellent with our skills, that we should lead in science and law and craftsmanship and music and literature and medicine and the arts. All of these things, as Christians, we should not be those that lag far behind or somehow exclude ourselves off to the side. But there has been a time in history where Christians led in these areas. And this is when we see great revival in society, is when Christians, because of their love for the Lord and because of their honor for the Lord, that they take up what they have before them and they do excellently with it. And it changes all of society. We should be wise, we should be principled, we should be trusted, we should be sought out as Christians. And this is the example that Daniel lives for us. Well, I'd like to close with a passage from Philippians chapter 3. Turn with me there, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 27. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 27 is a powerful New Testament passage about Christian resolve. All Christians that have lived godly in Christ Jesus, that make it to their last day living for the Lord Jesus, are those who live by resolve. And so Paul writes and encourages the church at Philippi in its Christian resolve. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have written, told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory and their shame. Their minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Powerful passage. Paul says, I forget the past. I'm leaving behind the things of the past. So many people spend a lot of their time rummaging around in the garbage bin and the struggles of their past. We are called as Christians to leave those things, to put those things in the past and press forward to what lies ahead, towards this high calling in Christ Jesus, this, this new life that we have been given in Christ. And clearly, throughout this passage, the final focus is nothing in this world. The final focus of our life is heaven and what will be accomplished when we see Christ Jesus as face-to-face. And then we are holding on to this progress that is made, as it says in verse 16. We're not letting go of the progress that we have made. That we are looking by faith to Christ Jesus. 
And that we are warned in this passage of the apostate, those that have fallen away. Those, he says, with tears. I think about those that were once walking in the faith and have now fallen away from these things because their faith was not true. But we are those who seek to resolve to enter heaven and to to inherit that inheritance that has been given to us and promised to us by grace through Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is a song that I love to sing, and I'm going to give you a few of the words. I have decided to follow Jesus, and there is no turning back, no turning back. Though no one join me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me and the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. That's a statement of resolution. That's a song of resolution. And I tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, that I have decided to follow Jesus. And by the grace of God, there will be no turning back for me. And I ask you to join me in this journey of following after Christ Jesus. That together as a church, that we might resolve to follow after Jesus in this world. And that we might encourage one another to not lose heart in this world in following after Christ. It's important that Daniel was not alone in this. He gave them friends to come alongside him in what would have been otherwise an impossibly difficult situation because the Lord always gives us what we need and he has given us each other that we might live this Christian life together. Let us resolve to be set apart from the world because of our love for Jesus Christ. Be set apart in our speech. Be set apart in our morals. Be set apart in how we conduct ourselves sexually, what we value in all these things that we be a holy people Resolve to follow after Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this character in Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For youths at that time that were resolved to follow after you and to not be assimilated into an ungodly culture. But those that walked an inspiring path and that they sought to do well at everything that was permissible while stepping aside from and abstaining from all things that were wicked. Help us to be this way, Lord. Help us to live with excellence in this life. Help us to take up every good thing and set aside every evil thing, that we might live as bright, shining lights in this world. So, Father, I pray for this church and for these people. Help us to understand these things. Help us to have right knowledge. But we pray, God, by your Spirit, by your Holy Spirit, that you would give us the strength of will to live for you in the way that we ought to. Lord, we thank you for this, and in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.